It's, uh, it's good to be here this morning. Um, let's, uh, let's just go to the Word of God. We are going to Matthew chapter 15, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 18, and uh, verse 15. I would encourage all of us, I know that um, especially our younger generation, we've got a lot of computer Bibles, get a good old-fashioned leatherback book, learn where your books are, you know, it's, it's cheating if you do a sword drill with a computer, and for anyone who doesn't know what a sword drill is, it's when they used to scream out a, a text, and then you had to dash to it in your Bible, and um, it's, good to, it's good to know where your book is, what, what, how it flows, and and the story of it, and getting your hands around it. There's something about the book. So, anyway, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, just one verse, and uh, we'll go from there. So this is the Lord speaking. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between him, or between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So, Today, uh, long before, uh, back in the early stages when I first came here, I really felt like I needed to preach on this topic this day. And um, it had nothing to do with the Ohio State-Penn State game, though it does seem fitting uh, that it is at this point that we talk about this issue. Um, But, you know, the thing is, is that there's nothing like family. There's nothing like it. I have, I have a very interesting family background. My, um, my father's family is English descent primarily, English and German. Uh, the heir, last name, is English. And we came over in the early 1600s, shortly after the Mayflower had landed. And uh, we actually settled part of Connecticut. We've been in the place uh, in Franklin, Connecticut, where our family farm is, for 350 years this year. We have a 368-acre farm. Uh, there's, if you go on Google, you could search Air Mountain, and you'll see our Air Mountain farm. You'll see the, the place where my dad lives and my Grammy and my stepmother, Kathy. And uh, that is that part of my family on one side. On the other side, my mother is um, a naturalized citizen from Mexico. So I have colonial America, and I have that I am a first-generation-born American on my mother's side. And that is my family, and it's, it's cool to have these poles. And, and, you know, if you know anything about, like, the English side of things, it's rather proper. You know, you go, when we would go to a Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving dinner at Dad's or at Grammy's, and, you know, the, everything was set, and all the silver was just placed right. And you had to put your napkin on your lap. And you didn't leave the table until you asked to be excused. Now, on the Latin side of the family, it's paper plates. It's, you know, plastic cups. And it's like, hey, man, how you doing? It's loud. It's crazy. There's, there's no polite. It's not like, man, I'd be excused. It's like, shut up and get up. Go. Do what you got to do, you know. It's just such a different thing. But what's cool is on both sides... Both families are wonderful because they're mine. 
There's something about family. There's, there's something about family that is precious. As I look around this room, I see families gathered together. You're always sitting with people that you are in relationship with, whether that be familial or whether that be just relational. But we're here together as a family of God. But there's something about family that just automatically leads to to conflict, right? I mean, I got a brother, my brother Stephen. You met him about a month ago, a little about, somewhere in there. And uh, Steve is my boy. I mean, he's he is my my buddy. He's he and my wife Denise are my best friends, and and uh, we have been together for a long time. He's two and a half years younger than me, and uh, he's you know he's always been there. And yet we've always had some conflict. I was I was the big brother, and um, for any big brothers out there, you know how it works. You know you're the you're the biggest, the tallest, the strongest, at least for five years. Um, and then maybe they pass you up. But, um, you know, there's always those conflicts. And there was one time when Steve and I were, were young. Mom told us to go get the basket of, cl- of clothes upstairs that was dirty. And we had to bring it downstairs so that it could be washed. And, and so Steve and I go and get the basket. And, and we're at the top of the stairs. And he and I have been kind of scrapping a little bit. And so he's got one end of the basket. I've got the other. And, and I'm going down the stairs first. And he just pushes it a little bit. And I'm like, boom, 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 smash. And I was, I was upset. And I told mom, I'm like, he did it on purpose. And she's like, my angel would never do that. And he just sat there. Now, just to give you an idea of the kind of scarring that can happen between two brothers, I was six and he was four. And I still don't let him forget about that. And if he were here, he'd probably tell you that he didn't really mean to push me down the stairs. But I know different. <laughs> because that is kind of what brothers do. We fight sometimes. But afterward, you end up playing together. You end up running your cars into each other and playing army men or going and throwing the football around. See, because conflict is, is inevitable, but how we handle it, that's where the choices come in. And, and if that is true of our, of our natural families, how much more true should that be about us? I mean, it's like we, we've got cultures across the spectrum in this room. We've got, you know, every nationality um, that we could imagine probably. There's, there's I'm sure, sure, several that we don't have here yet, but uh, we need to get them in here too because we need to reflect God's family. God's family is uh, multicultural, right? But how can we expect to take all of these different cultures, all these different people, and put them in one room and kind of turn on the blender, we throw us all together and, and us not run into each other? Us not have some issues. And, and yet, I'll tell you this, being someone who was not raised in church, but someone who came into church, uh, I found out that there's only two places 
There's two places you're going to get most in conflict, and it's going to hurt the most. And that is in church and in marriage. In church and in marriage. That is when you're going to get hurt the most. And, and the reason, I think, I think this is why, is because these are the, these are the families we chose. You know, I'm stuck with Stephen, and he's stuck with me. We didn't have a choice in it, you know. We, we came into the world into the same family, and, and there was no way around it. We were going to grow up together. We were going to know each other. We were going to rub shoulders and, and have all of that in life. There was no choice in it. If he can't stand me or if he adores me, he's stuck with me. But it's not that way in church. And it's not that way in marriage. And, and so because of that, there are times that I think we end up most hurt in these two places. Does that make sense? Because we chose to be there when it's less than we wanted it to be or less than we expected it to be. There's something about it that hurts a little more. I will tell you that that it is the disappointment, I think, that we feel when we're hurt in those two contexts that causes the remaining damage that sometimes remains. I want you to know that of all the messages I will ever preach in this church, of all the times you'll ever hear from me, there are few messages you will ever hear from this pulpit or any other that will have more impact in your life than this one if you let it. There's, there's fewer, there's few messages that will, that will be more important to having a healthy church and a healthy family, healthy marriage than this message. Because I want to tell you this one thing. You're going to get hurt. You know, remember getting, remember when you got married? And gentlemen, you had that cute little girl and, and like, you know, she was there and, and you were just so excited and, 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 and everything was going to be perfect, you know. I mean, you gave her roses and you put a ring on her finger and, and she just thought you were wonderful. And then, and then one day you weren't wonderful. Anyone ever had that day? You were no longer wonderful. You were something less. We will not say how much less, but you were. And, um, and it hurt. It hurts. Because the reality is that, that when we go into these things, it's ideal. I remember when I got saved, and I thought everybody that, that, that God ever touched, everybody that God ever saved was perfect. It was all, you guys were perfect. Everyone loved each other. It was wonderful. There was no conflict. And then I got into leadership. And I'm like, what? Where did all these crazy people come from? Because I started to see that there was more. Because, because, (laughs) the reality is, do you want to know why? Do you want to know why there's going to be conflict in church? Because there's people here. And wherever there's people, there's going to be differences of opinion. And wherever there's people, there are going to be problems. 
And why should we be surprised with that? Honey, you can't even get along with yourself. How many times have you been sitting there and you've been in a conversation and you're talking with somebody and you say something stupid? And, and, you, and inside your head going, I can't believe you just said that. Right? That was the dumbest thing you ever said. And you're talking to you. How is it that we're expecting for Denise, in my case, or whomever in your case, to be anything more than that? When I pastored Columbus, I, um, I started off saying this. We used to have, you know, church, and, and I would say this often, and you might hear me say it periodically, but I would say this. I, I would tell the people, i say, look, one day, someday, somehow, some way, way past my ability to stop it, I'm going to hurt you. That's real life. And, and it's not that I will want to, but I will because I'm human. And your job as a Christian is to tell me. And my job as a Christian is to ask you to forgive me. And then your job is to forgive me. That's how it works. And so... We have, in every conflict, an opportunity. And most people don't see it this way. Most people see conflict as bad. We grow up in situations where maybe um, whatever our context of family was, we, we see conflict is bad. And, you know, what's worse is no conflict. I've heard, I've heard uh, married couples who've said, we never fight. I have a, my brother actually was in a room with some couple, they had said, we've never fought. In 40 years of marriage, we have never had a fight. And Steve was there one day and they were having dinner and they um, evidently were not fighting. But something was going on and it didn't seem real happy. <laughs> and, and sometimes we... In, in our little paradigm of Christianity, we're trying to, to be this thing. We're putting on this facade of perfection that is fake. We are lying. We need to get real. We need to get to where we are okay being real. Because God's a God of truth. God is not a God of facades. He doesn't want you to pretend. That's why you're going to hear about stuff. Just so you all know, I am the most imperfect preacher that you have ever met. Nobody needs Jesus more than me, and it's not because I'm an Ohio State fan. It is because I'm human. It is because I know how much I need him. It's because I live in a daily revelation of my absolute dependence on him. And you will hear from time to time, say, anyone, anyone here struggle today other than me? Anyone today have, you know, you, anyone sinning here other than me today? Because, because I want you to know this one thing. Your pastor is not perfect. And I don't expect you to be perfect either, but what I do expect, I expect you to be real. And I expect that when we have conflicts, that we come to the table and talk. 
Because conflict is not bad. Conflict, my brothers and sisters, can be a great opportunity for growth. Ask any successful marriage. I mean, not just one that stuck it out. I mean, a successful marriage. We get stronger when we go through bad things together. And I go, man, I can't stand you today. And she goes, I don't like you much either. But you all of a sudden you work through that. You go, okay, let's talk about that. Where are we at? Why is this going on? What's happening with that? And you bring it to the table because you understand that no matter what, you are going through this together. You're going to come out on the other side better and stronger and more met. That's why you got these old couples. And there's none of you all in here because you're all so young and vibrant. But... um. Mature couples who, who've gone through some stuff. You ever seen anyone like this? They've gone through some stuff. And, and they just like to be together. Just because they just, they just like each other. And it's because they've gone through enough stuff together. And they've worked through their conflicts together. And it's allowed for them to get really to be one flesh. Because being one flesh is more than just physical, becomes emotional, becomes a spiritual union, and conflict allows for it. You can't have it without conflict, and we need to understand that it's an opportunity. And so today I want to just talk about conflict in the family and and what we're going to do about it. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He says, in Hebrews, I think it's 12, like 14, he says, follow peace with all men, through whoever wrote Hebrews. But, um, so let's see what Jesus has to say about his family. Jesus calls us, the church, to make disciples. And there's two key elements in discipleship. The first is what is often called the new commandment, which is simply this, love each other. John 13, 34 through 35 says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this, everyone say by this. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Love for one another. The King James says it this way. It says, love to one another. It's, it's active. It's something that, that you can do. It is me loving to you. It doesn't mean that I always like what you're doing, but it does mean I have love to you. I'm directing my love at you. You can't get away from my love because my love is coming to you. I am going to show up at your door loving you. And if we have conflict, that's okay. I choose to love you anyway. And that is our job. That is what God says that we have to do as as his children. That that is a commandment. Jesus doesn't give. Do you realize that Jesus doesn't give commandments? In the entire Bible of the New Testament, Jesus does not give commandments other than to go reach the world and teach him what he taught the disciples. Other than this, love one another. And what's interesting is when you look at it, you ever wonder why the world's not saved yet? 
Anyone wonder under the me? I mean, when you got the Holy Ghost, was it like the greatest thing that ever happened to you? It was like, wah! Like nothing you ever experienced, right? And, and I was like, why is everyone not in here? Maybe the answer is in verse 35. Because Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you have love one for another. See, there's something in the witness. There's a witness in our love. When you love somebody who's maybe not super lovable right now, it speaks of something you've got. And if we, in, in getting God's commandment, and we begin to enact it, because it is a choice. Love is a choice. One of the greatest bits of advice my, my wife ever got when, when we were first getting going to get married, and she's, she's scared. Anyone get scared before you got married? I was... I was so sure she was my girl. God has spoke to me. I knew she was the one. And until she said yes, I was certain of it. And she said yes. And I was like, well, let's just think about this for a minute now. <laughs> because I got scared. <laughs> See, but Denise got scared too. And she was talking to her sister. And she said, she said, Sue, what if I don't love David in 10 years? And Sue said, Denise, love is a choice. You have to choose to love him, even when maybe he's not lovable. And there's been lots of days I've not been. She still likes me most times. But even when she doesn't always like me, she loves me. Because love is a choice. And she chooses to have love to me. She directs her love to me. She, she takes care of my children. She makes sure that, you know, uh, she washes my clothes. She... She's, she's just a good girl. She shows her love to me. And we folks have to choose to direct our love and to love one another. The second thing is this. It says, Jesus, in calling us to be disciples, it's, yes, we have love one to another. We follow the new commandment. But we also do one other thing. We self-sacrifice. We sacrifice ourselves. Matthew 16, 24 says, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So to be a disciple of Jesus, we've got to choose to follow him to death. That means, hear me very clearly, you don't have the right to hold on to things. Because you are following him to his death for others. In order for you to be able to be like Jesus, we've got to choose to follow him and, and live and die for other people. It's not about us. It's not about how good we take care of ourselves and how protected we need to be and setting up all these different defense mechanisms so that you don't get too close to me. It is about living on the edge of, of just peril because we're loving others that much. Now, that does not mean be stupid. It does, you have to have barriers in your life. If there's toxic people, you only let them get so close to you. I'm not talking about dumb. I'm talking about love. There are people who, who will poison the water. That's real. But that doesn't mean 
you don't love them. I told a sister the other day, we were talking about a situation. She said, well, what about this? I said, honey, you don't have to like her. You just have to love her. Because we have to sacrifice ourselves. It is not, it is not about you. It's about him. And because it's about him, it's about us. It's about others. And that is very un-American. And that is also very uncomfortable. See, but love demands self-sacrifice. Love demands self-sacrifice. Love is the value of the kingdom. And in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says something crazy. And I still, I'm, just so you all know, I'm still working on this whole Christian thing. I'm still trying to get to where he talks about, I have not arrived. Jesus says, love your enemies. Does anyone find that hard other than me? Because, because my enemy is trying to hurt me. See, but, but Jesus wants us to know that it's not about you. It's about us. It's always been about kingdom. And the kingdom requires that each of us come to each other with our love, love to each other, but also sacrificing ourselves so, for each other. So that if I sacrifice myself for you and you sacrifice yourself for me, then we are going to have a great relationship. That's why, honey, if you're contemplating marriage or if you, if you are married, this is good advice. You ready? Love is, marriage is not 50-50. Marriage is 100-100. It's not, I'll meet you halfway and you meet me halfway. And well then, because then you're arguing about percentages and she gets mad when it's like 60-40 on her side and, and you get mad when it's, you know, 30-70 on the other side. And, and there's this conflict because she thinks she's 50-50 and you think you're 50-50. And in the middle is where you get in trouble. But if you both serve each other completely, you both love each other sacrificially, completely, then there's never conflict, or at least there's a lot less. <laughs> never's, a, never's a long time. Um, there's a lot less because you're both serving each other as best as you know how. And that will produce health in a relationship. And it is what we need to do as brothers and sisters if we're going to really love one another the way Jesus talked about and self-sacrifice the way that Jesus talked about. So what do we do with conflict? Well, Scripture gives us a path to walk through, whether it be conflict or sin in the church, and that's Matthew 18, 15 through uh, 17. And there are three parts to this. I'm going to tell you this. We're going to talk about the first one today, and that's it. And the reason is because if we handle it on level one, then we don't need level two or three. Because if you handle it on level one, we're good. Level two and three only happens if you resist. So if there's resistance, well, then you can come to my office and we can have a talk about levels two and three. My hope is that level one will handle this all. So the first step in this whole situation is we own it. We own it. No matter who you are, if you are the victim or the violator, and usually you're a little of both, right? There's only been one perfect 
He died for us. Usually we live somewhere in the middle. Maybe you're more violated than violator. But whoever you are, whatever it is, it is your job in the midst of this to look at fully where you are and to own fully your part in it. I am, um, I'm not saying that's easy, but I am saying that that's what God expects because it's your job to get things settled and make it right, whether you're on the positive side or the negative side, whether you're the one who acted or one who was acted upon. That's why I entitled this, No One Gets Out of Here Alive. Because if you have been violated or you have been the violator, if you've been the wrongdoer or if you've been done wrong, Scripture tells us in both cases that we're to go and make it right. Jesus said that if you go to the altar and bring your sacrifice, and remember that your brother has ought against you, leave your sacrifice there and go and make it right with him. How big, how big is this owning part? Whether you're, you're the one who got hurt or the one who hurt. Doesn't matter. If there's ought between a brother and a sister, if there's ought between two brothers or two sisters in the church, God says, this is so important. Don't worship me until you get this settled. Don't come and bring me your sacrifice until you go make it right. This is no small thing. It's hard that we have this in front of us, but the reality is that if we come and we own our part and we say what we have done, you know what it does? It allows for the other person to be able to come alongside you and say, okay, now this is my part in it. See, because as I'm real and I bear my heart to you, the hope, if that person is living the way that God wants and is going to do as you're doing, then in following the example of Christ, they go, you know what? I did this in this situation too. And you can meet at that place. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. If you're offering your gift and remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift. Folks, we can't even worship right until we are right. We need to admit and confess who we are and who they are within the conflict. God is a God of truth, and there is freedom in truth. Jesus said you'd know the truth, and truth would set you free. When we just are real, when we pull down the facade and we allow for ourselves to be real, God can go there. Remember when you repented of your sins? Remember, okay, you ever see someone come up to repent of their sins, and they're just playing church like, oh, Jesus. You ever been there? And they've got their nice little religious face on. There's no power. But you get someone up here who's just like rips it open and they're just tears are flowing and, and they're just allowing for themselves to be transparent and real. God can take that transparency and because the rubber is meeting the road, he can change it and he can give you direction and create change and healing in your life. 
It's there that change happens. God is a God of truth. There's freedom in truth. And we need to allow for that truth to become evident, even in our conflict, so that we can be free to move forward. Because God is on the side of right. Oh, man. See, as a preacher, I'm sitting here with like 20 messages running around in my head. I'd love to preach to you right now. God's on, on the side of right. When you look at Joshua, Joshua's about to go in and take Canaan. And something really cool happens. He's out for a walk and all of a sudden like this angel shows up. And he's got his sword drawn and all this. And, and, and you know, Joshua goes, hey, are you for me or for my enemies? And Michael, the archangel, is the one who's standing there. And he says something really interesting. He says, neither. But I am the captain of the Lord of hosts. See, God is not on anybody's side. He's on his own side. He's on the side then of righteousness, of truth, of peace and holiness. That's the side that God's on. And we want God to be on our side. God! You, you need to back me up on this. I'm right. And he goes, well, then what about that and that and that that you, conf- you, you added to the conflict? See, God is not interested in your side. He's on both your sides. That's the awesome thing about God. When you get married, you know, we want God on our side. And if you ever get into a fight with your, your wife or your husband and, and they call their mother, <sighs> How many have made that mistake early in your marriage? Um, you don't do it hopefully too long because it'll kill you. Uh, but but you, you, mom's on your side because she's your mama. And then her mom's on her side because she's her mama. See, but God is both of our fathers. If I have a conflict with you in the church, he's on both of our sides. He wants us to make it right. So we can go forward. So we have to come to God and come with our brother and sister and allow him to make it right by confessing our, our part. James 5.16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Confession, folks, confession brings healing. Number two. So the first one was... Uh, that we own our, our stuff in it. Number two is we protect the body. God loves his bride. And God is on the side of protecting his church. Scripture says in, in Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, I'll just read the first and last verses. Says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination. And the last of them is on verse 19, and it says, And one who sows discord among brothers. Now, I know that we are under grace, and some of you would argue that, but I want you to understand that, that when it says that God hates something, that's a big deal. We need to protect the church. We need to protect the body. The third thing, and I'm wrapping up right now, so if the band can, can get ready. Number three is we will be reconciled. We need to be reconciled. Church, we are given the ministry of reconciliation. 1 Corinthians 6 Paul goes into a church that's full of, of contention. They're going to court against each other, and, and he says it's a shame for us. And the reason is because in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 18, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. We all like that one. 
The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and hear this, and gave the ministry of reconciliation. Do you realize that you are called to be a reconciler? It's your first ministry. Please don't get up here and play if you can't be first a reconciler. You have no place ministering in any other way if you can't first be a reconciler because it's our first ministry. God gives us the ministry of reconciliation and we are to be reconcilers, healing relationships between each other so that we can see the kingdom show up between us so that we can show the kingdom to others outside of here. We are to be people who own our junk, protect the body, and then make reconciliation. That's it. So, today, who do you need to make it right with? Are they in this room? Are they three states away? Have they passed away? Because the reality is this. Your God is, is calling very clearly today to a church that he wants to bring together and unify so that we can begin to be a reflection of the kingdom of God in this region as never before. But see, it takes more than just wanting to do it. It's going to take us first, making sure that everything is right here, here, and here. And so today, I'm asking you, who do you need to make it right with? Because there's not a soul in this room who doesn't have to make it right with somebody. Who do you have to ask to forgive you for your part in your conflict with that person? What do you have to own to become an agent of reconciliation that may just bring healing to that person and salvation to them? Not to mention freedom to you. Nobody gets out of here alive. You're going to have to die to your pride. You're going to have to die to your facade. And you've got to choose to get real and get right before God and others. If your brother has, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. And if he listens, you have gained your brother. There's some brothers and sisters that need to be gained in this room right now. And I am throwing the monkey on your back. Because it's more, this, there's more to being a Christian than saying you are one. It's behaving and acting 
in a way that reflects him. So, the band's going to play. And I'm going to pray right now. And I commission you in Jesus' name. If you need to make it right with somebody, go do it. If they're in this room, don't leave this room until you make it right. Pray together. Confess your faults one to another and pray that you may be healed. Make that happen. If you need to go make a phone call, do it. But if they're in this room, you handle that first. Because we in this house, folks, there is one rule here. For as long as I pastor this church, there will be one rule. We will be Christians. Father, this is a hard message, but it's what you called us to. And I loose, Lord God, the ministry of the spirit of reconciliation in this room. Let healing come and transform, Lord God, lives today. Make us one. In Jesus' name, amen.